morning. My name is, my name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. And uh, thanks for coming back. And uh, it'd be a drag if it was just me and Eric this morning. But uh, uh, we can't talk about hair, that's for sure. <coughs> but, uh, but, uh, thank Jeff for uh, being a great host, and, and Eric, uh, and, and Mike. It's always good to see Michael. I know Michael a long time. We were talking about that the other day. Uh, first time out here, Mike took me to a place called the Granite House. I just finished uh, a talk, and I walk in as a microbrewery. I says, "Thanks a lot. I appreciate that." <laughs> you know, um, and my friend Morris from Nebraska, and, and uh, the Godfather Tom sitting over there. It's like the heads of the five families are here this weekend. <laughs> you know? yeah, so, uh, which makes me feel right at home. You know? <clears throat> so uh, it's a good deal. Um, I'm supposed to talk about 10 and 11, and I'm not sure if we're going to do one or two sessions, but uh, Debbie just threatened my life, so I have to do two sessions. So uh, um, we'll, we'll see where spirit takes us. Um, we can't enter the world of the spirit with a cognitive mind. We can't enter the world of the spirit with right thinking. I can't uh, right think myself into spirituality. I can't understand, uh, I, I can try to understand what it's like the in the world of the spirit by listening to others and read lots of uh, uh, <clears throat> literature, big book and other inspirational books and kind of comprehend in a sense what they're talking about. But I have no idea what it's like to be there until I go there. And uh, in order to walk through the world, into the world of the spirit, as the book talks about in step 10 and the tremendous promises in a page and a half of literature in our big book, I need to have cleaned out one through nine. And in the, in the process of amends, am I in the process of cleaning up the wreckage of my past? If I have 50 amends and I've done 20 and I'm still searching for the other 30, or I'm willing to make amends to the other 30 and some I can't, I'm kind of moving along. I'm sliding into step 10. Uh, this is really important because I've seen a lot of folks uh, go sideways right about now. If you get them through four and you get them through five, they'll hang around for six and seven, make a few amends, feel really good and lifted up by that, and um, then kind of go sideways because they experience the reemergence of ego. So some of the things I, I hope to get moved to talk about. Um, <clears throat> I just want to back up just a bit because uh, on this thing with amends, I've gotten a lot of questions uh, since yesterday, actually since Friday night, about amends, if I can talk more about it. And uh, uh, a lot of guys uh, to come, come, come to me with relationship issues with amends and drug dealer issues with the amends and, and the like. And uh, <clears throat> I guess what I, I, I need to offer you is, A, do you have a sponsor? And B, are you seeking guidance or counsel from a sponsor when it comes to amends? Because we can do a lot of damage making amends on our own. And we can walk into something and walk away saying, well, I made that amends and have another nine-step notch on my amends belt. And I'm going to have to go back in a few years to make amends for the amends that I screwed up. So it's really important that we go as God would want us to. And when I'm making amends... <clears throat> is remember how would I want to be approached by someone if they were coming to me? And also when I'm, I'm trying to seek out someone and I find them and they're not returning a phone call, they're not responding back to a letter, or perhaps I get to see them and I say, can I have your time? And they walk away from you and say, not now. I need to respect that because they're just not ready for it. Their ground is not fertile. And I remember there was a, uh, there was a gentleman up, up north, and um, a business deal went, went a little sideways, and uh, <clears throat> he did some ugly things. And it's really interesting, uh, just a side note, I'm in the treatment center business, and there are really neat people in that business, but there are more sick people in the treatment center business treating sick people than you can shake a stick at. And this was one of them. And... Um, he had uh, sent me an email. He, wa he was in Florida and wanted to come uh, make an amends to me. And I didn't respond. And he sent me about three letters, three emails. And the last one I responded back to him that I'm just not ready to go there yet. And I got that. It was okay for me to do. We need to get that, that some folks were trying to knock on the door to make amends. They're just not ready for it. So we need to seek counsel. God's timing is perfect. My timing is usually wrong. And we go with a helpful and forgiving spirit. 
And even though you may have done bad things to me, and that's why I retaliated against you, I'm still not there to discuss what you did to me. I'm there to talk about my retaliation against you and make that right. That's what this is about. Welcome to the NFL. You know? um, <clears throat> I had made an amends uh, uh, a bunch of years ago uh, where I was willing to risk, take a risk and do this amends because it was the right thing to do. And I remember Joe Hawk was in town and we start talking about amends and he says, you need to go make this amends. And some of my, 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 my peers were telling me, my sponsor times telling me, don't go there. And Joe and Mark got a hold of me and said, you need to go do this stuff. And this was right before Mark started sponsoring me. And I remember going into uh, this neighborhood and uh, it was rough, it was crack infested neighborhood. And I had to seek out this person and make amends. And uh, when I asked, is there anything I can do to make it right. She said, I can use some money. And I remember when this woman was pristine looking and she was suffering from crack addiction now. And uh, you know what that looks like. And I knew what the money was for, but I gave her about 40 bucks and I got back in my car and I drove away. And uh, <clears throat> as I drove out of the projects, I don't know if you have projects here, but we have the projects, which usually, you know, no. Yeah. What kind of town is this? No. <laughs> I'm not in Kansas anymore, man. <laughs> Gee, I'm sorry you missed out on all that stuff going up. Um, projects, it's uh, usually uh, rough. And as I'm driving out uh, of the hood, you have hoods out here? You have the hood? Okay. As I'm driving out of the hood, <laughs> Tom, do they have Italian people out here? I mean, what's that? Time? No? It's me and you? All right. All right. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> there was a lady on the elevator. She says, what's going on? And, and uh, she says, I heard they're having one of these AA conferences. And she goes, oh, my God, like this. <laughs> and I'm standing there. I'm, I'm waiting for, like, the more the dirt come out. Anyway, so I'm driving out of the... <laughs> I told a woman in public, she says, what do you do for a living? I have my work badge on. I says, I work in the treatment center. She says, what is that? And I treat alcoholics. And I, she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I was in the projects, right? I was driving out of the projects. And as I drive out after making this amends, and it went, it went relatively well. I remember getting my car, making prayer for this, this poor woman. And as I drove away, I came up to the first light, and uh, a cop car came out of the projects. And um, I didn't think much about it and um, threw my seatbelt on, but uh, <laughs> got to the corner, made a left, and they were behind me, made a right, and their lights went on. They pulled me over. And what proceeded to happen was if anyone's ever gotten rolled by the cops is what happened to me. They wanted my ID, and, and I was living in Staten Island at the time. They wanted to know why I was in Brooklyn. And it was this big deal, and they took me out of the car. They patted me down. They went through my car. They said, we just saw you give that woman money. You, are you, you know, uh, here to buy drugs, and uh, what are you doing? And they just went on and on, and the crowd began to gather around, and they, you know, they radioed the unmarked van. The unmarked van turned the corner, and I said, I'm going to go to jail. And the only thing I could think of in that moment was my dad. AAs would get it. My sponsor knew I was going down uh, to make this amends. Um, uh, um, actually, Mark was my sponsor. I'm just thinking of it. Uh, he knew I was going down. I was married at the time. My, my wife at the time knew I was going in. I explained. Everyone knew I was going in because it was going to be a little tricky. Uh, but my dad didn't know. And I said, if I get popped for something here that I didn't do, they're going to call. And my dad's going to find out. And he's going to think I'm back to the old shenanigans again. That's all I can think of. And I remember making a prayer. Father, you know I'm here. Everyone else knows why I'm here. Your will, not mine, be done. And... Um, there was this cop about six foot 12, big, big, big guy. And I explained to these guys, I, here's why I'm here. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm here to make right the wrong I did. They almost handcuffed me when I gave them this story. I'm, <clears throat> I said, I'm just here to make amends. And I'm trying to explain to this, and this little cop, he had like Napoleon complex. He thought he was Wyatt Earp, and he's running through my car. And this big cop says, he kind of motions over and he says, is this that immense thing you guys do? And I says, yeah, I've sponsored men on the job. In fact, I go to a group just a few blocks from here in Sheepshead Bay. He says, keep your mouth shut. That's my sergeant. Don't say anything. And um, they let me go. And I remember driving away and I was, you know, thank you, God. And um, 
It was interesting this cop knew about amends, and that thing was put to bed. My point is sometimes it's going to look a little tricky, and we're not really sure what to do, but I sought counsel, and I got clearance from my, my ex-wife. My wife at the time, I says, honey, this is what I'm doing. I'm seeing this woman I used to know a long time ago. Are you okay with this? I need to fix this up. And my sponsor knew about it. Joe Hawk knew about it. My friends, everyone knew I was going in. I didn't just say I'm going to go make amends and go into the hood, the projects. Um, to do this. Right. And I came out, another piece of that circle around the triangle was closed. Um, the lighter we get, the lighter we feel. And we get to do what the carpenter said, wear the world like a loose garment. But how can I be present and how can I move forward if I'm still driven by voices from the past with regrets and remorse and resentments and unfinished amends that I'm, that I'm trying to make? Do I think in completing my amends that has anything to do with me drinking again or not? I have outstanding amends that I could be making. I'm not even searching for these folks. I just kind of quit. Does that have anything to do with me drinking again or not? Because very often in AA meetings, you'll hear uh, during the beginning, they'll read the, the nine-step promises, and we talk about them. And I've heard many folks, you know, with 20 minutes sober who never opened up the book saying, I'm, I'm experiencing the promises. And, <clears throat> you know, I get what they're doing, and they're just trying to mimic what we're doing and, and prove to you that they're all in and spiritual. But they're not experienced with the promises they're talking about, because the first thunderbolt that hits, they might go drink because they don't have spiritual muscles yet, and they're relying on a group of drunks for girly direction, which is good to keep them sober permanently, and that's not going to happen. So as a sponsor, <clears throat> we need to instruct people who are just coming in that you're not experiencing the promises. What you're experiencing is grace. What you're experiencing is the camaraderie of this fellowship, which is a Band-Aid on an open wound. To, to really experience the promises, we need to do some work. We need to be chopping wood and carrying water. By the time we show up to nine, we're going to feel okay, but we're going to be a little bit beat up from the hard work. You do a day's work in the field, you come back, you're exhausted, you got some cuts on hand, a couple of blisters, but the work's done, that feels okay. And it's the same thing with here. We're going to be doing three and four and five and six and seven, taking stock again. A lot of prayers along the way. A lot of prayers along. A lot of meetings along the way. Whether it's two weeks or two months to complete this work, there's a lot of work going on there. Work we've never, ever done before. Ever. <clears throat> no drunk walks into AA and says, well, I've done fourth step and fifth step. I know what ninth step's about. They've never been in AA before. This is new territory. So we plow the field, and we get the ground fertile, and God will do the growing in his time. And as we start to clean up amends, we have our nine-step promises. And one of the things we, we don't talk about enough is the promises throughout the book or the warnings throughout the book, or the considerations throughout the book, or taking a statement and flipping it into a question. It's a textbook. And I love when I see books that are beat up and mocked up and, you know, and torn, because I know that guy's using it. She's using it, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's my, my design for living is 164 pages, and because of that, I've been able to incorporate a lot of other information that I take with me, that I use, that I work with uh, about this big book or any other inspirational literature. Um, don't read them. Don't read your big book. Don't read your, your spiritual books. Don't read scripture. Anyone can do that. I read the newspaper every day. I go online and look at CNN and Fox News. I read it. An hour later, I forgot what I read. Right? What we want to do is work with these books. What I mean by that is underline, highlight, statements into questions, contemplate, reflect on what I just read. And when I'm reading, unless it's an assignment out of the big book with the sponsor, but when I'm working with these books or I'm picking up a hot book that's out there or someone says, you got to check this book out, and I'm moving along and I get to, say, page 5 or 10 and something, you ever read and something stops you? Ooh, I like what this is saying. Don't read any further. Sit with that. Spirit has met the book. The book has met spirit. Very, it, it's resonating. Pay attention to that. Because if you're like me, I want to get to the end of the book and go back and say, I read that book too. What's it about? Uh, I'm not sure. You want to have an experience with the information. So that book becomes you. You become the book. It's not who you be. What all this work has allowed me to do 
excuse me, what all this work has allowed me to do, working through the steps, all the fellowshipping, all the speaking, all the service, working with others, living in all three sides of the triangle, where it has taken me on most days is to silence. Where it's taken to me on most days is stillness and mindfulness and breath and now, which completely contradicts the way I used to live. Or when I'm falling asleep in AA, I get noisy. When I'm wide awake, I get quiet. And we need to wake up. We need to, not only, I don't mean that as a command, but we just consider it. We need to wake up. Most of us are sound asleep thinking we're right. We need to wake up. And what I mean by wake up is spiritually awake, spiritually alive, in touch with others. And no matter if I'm multitasking and doing many things, I'm present to what I'm doing. And I become that much more effective. And I'm, I'm exhausted at the end of the day like I will be tonight, physically exhausted, drained, but I'm not burned. I'm not like I can't take another call. It's fulfilling because we give of ourselves, but we're mindful to what we're doing. The most comfortable place in the whole world for me, believe it or not, is doing this. There's no nervousness. There's no fear attached to this. There's no thought involved. We were joking before. I said, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. I know God's going to go feed me as I'm doing this. And that's exactly what happens. I get fed and it comes to you. Or if I'm working with another alcoholic, most comfortable place for me to be because I'm not thinking. Present moment awareness is what we call it. And we shift into that. The thing is, can I, when I shift into that, can I stay with that? Now, I can will myself into staying perfectly awake and perfectly mindful, perfectly with breath to this moment. That doesn't work because the mind is telling me to go do that. It comes from chopping wood and carrying water, being in the field, plowing the land, right? And then you let God do the growing. And little by slowly, we start to find ourselves paying attention to where I am, my breath. It's now who I be. Our natural state, guys, our natural state of beingness is stillness. It's not noise. We create noise. Stillness is always there. I always thought I had to create science, create stillness, but how could we create that which already exists? <clears throat> Hear it? Now I'll talk and break the silence. What if we can get the mind to shut down like that? And when a thought does come, because they're going to come, the thoughts are going to show up. Like the clouds pass. They don't stick around. The sky doesn't lock into a cloud and follow it around. The sky stays. The clouds come in. They blow out. They come in. They blow out. Sometimes they're pretty. Sometimes they're ugly. They don't stick around. What I need to do, because thoughts are going to come, whether I'm sitting at, a, at working with someone or wherever you, we are, here comes a thought out of nowhere. I get a really bad thought, uh, 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 something that makes me feel really uncomfortable, delusions of grandeur, whatever it might be, is, okay, here it comes. Be still. Thanks for sharing. Have a nice day. And it goes. <laughs> Not to get attached to that. Because you know what we do? We get it, don't we? Roll with it. We ride it. We have a three-act play going on. We're directing. We're in it with the stars of the play. And we roll with that a while. And here comes on. We lock into that. If I'm not clear, I can't hear. I can't listen to that intuitiveness because I got all this other traffic in the way. So one of the things I tell folks, awareness is the greatest agent for change. So once I'm aware, I'm thinking again, I'm stopped thinking. Once we become aware, here I go again, I'm back. Driving down the highway and you got a million things going on. You got these scenarios going on, future past, future past, future past. And when you go, you go, oh my God, where am I going with this? You're back. That becomes a practice. Working with breath. When we're eating, am I mindful that I'm eating? Or do I have the TV on, the radio on, the newspaper on, and I'm, I'm texting while I'm trying to eat a steak and talk to the wife at the same time? Not good. Right? When I'm walking, am I mindful I'm walking? It sounds almost kindergarten level stuff, but it isn't. When I'm sitting in a deal like this, am I mindful of my breath? How am I breathing right now? <sighs> yeah. 
when I'm at work and, you know, we get in 9 o'clock, everyone's by the, the coffee pot, and there's a lot of scuttlebutt and a ton of gossip in the office, and is this and that. Am I involved in that whirlwind, or am I just still? I can be still and participate, but I'm not getting involved in your tornado. I'm not getting involved in your drama, because once I get involved in your drama, I am your drama. But I can participate, I can help, I can be effective agent for God, and sometimes I just need to be still and do nothing. A lot of things unravel anyway. You know how we are. Something happens, oh my God, i got to do this now. If it doesn't happen, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and a day later, you forgot what you were talking about. But in that, in that time, you were stressed out, resentful, fearful for an hour or two. Right? So it's the strict spiritual disciplines of 10 and 11 that really have gotten me free and have given me a new dimension of existence that I never even dreamed could exist. I would hear some of my elders talking about it. I would hear about some other spiritual teachers outside of AA talk about it. It was incredibly, incredibly attractive to me. But I'm from Brooklyn. We don't have spiritual people in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> And that's how I was thinking. These people are from, like, different parts of the world. They had different upbringing. I'm a kid from the neighborhood. We don't meditate. We don't pray. You just, that's a different operation. And then get spiritual. But when I came to AA, that's all they talked about. But little by slowly, little by slowly, little by slowly, we kind of ease into that. And one day, we're in a God experience. And it says sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But when God shows up, God shows up. And it's profound. It's life-changing. It's mood-altering. It's euphoric. It's an experience we never experienced before. And you know it. And many of us, and I've spoken to lots of folks in and out of AA about my own experiences as well as theirs. And every so often, we will feel as if we're standing in the presence of the Lord, whatever your God is. And that's usually met with weeping. It's overwhelming. We're talking about God. I'm feeling God's presence. And I don't mean like I'm feeling a little happy today or I watch the sunrise or set and it's kind of like has moved me. I'm talking about being in the presence. You can't plan that day. You can't anticipate that. You have no idea if it'll even happen in your lifetime. But you chop wood, carry wood, and you get you out of the way, and you worship your God. For some of us, at certain times, even when we least expect it, something happens. And every time it's happened to me, I found myself, my eyes filled up, and I wept. And it wasn't even happy. I'm euphoric. It wasn't even sad. It was just this flowing I, I always remember there wasn't a mood. The only, if I had to point to something, it would just be overwhelming of joy. But I wasn't thinking, this I remember, I never said, oh, wow, I'm in the presence of God. I must be a good AA. I'm going to write some more. I'm going to go share it my home group. I just saw the carpenter, right? <clears throat> <laughs> that stuff doesn't go on. When we're with God, when we're right with God, there's no thought. That's why it's so freeing. When we're, when we're mindful to what we're doing, it's so freeing. You speak to a painter, a musician, while they're creating, while they're writing. Part of that is, because I do a lot of writing, I always have, part of there is they call being in the moment. Right? There's no thought. Ball players call it being in the zone. And when they're in a slump, what do you hear? They're thinking too much. You hear it all the time. These sports guys know that. Joe, Joe's in a slump. He's thinking too much about his swing. He has to stop thinking. When you're in a zone, all players talk about it. They don't even hear the crowd anymore. There's something else going on. No thoughts required. Strict spiritual disciplines, I live with them. And little by slowly, I get to use the mind. And we do great things with it. Great thing. Put men on the moon find, find uh, 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 cures for diseases. And it usually starts off a what if. What if we were able to do this? And then we plan accordingly. It's a different kind of thought process than, oh my God. How am I going to do this? Because if I go there, they're going to be there. And if that shows up, then what am I going to do about that? And uh, it goes on and I go nowhere. And I'm fear-based and insecure. Until you see me and I pretend I'm a spiritual giant. Right. <clears throat> Part of this living in the world of the spirit is... I always like to talk about this as well, um, hope. Everybody has hope. Hope sounds like a great thing. 
on the front end, it's, it's hope. I hope for the, you know, things get better. I hope my kids go to school. I hope my kids, you know, are healthy. I hope, you know, my marriage lasts. I hope uh, I hit money and come into money. I hope. Sounds like a great thing. The problem with hope is it means right now is in the way. I'm unhappy with the present moment, which is all I have. I'm, 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 I'm unhappy with the now. So I got to go. When, when we get there, we're going to be great. I hope it's going to be. I hope this vacation is good. I hope this job is good. Now, that sounds okay. It's pretty innocent. We all have that. I don't want anyone to lose hope and be hopeless. But the attachment to hope means right now is not good. And right now is all I have. And if I'm planning for this to be good in the future, it starts with this breath when I get there. Because the future is a bunch of nows strung along. I hope to graduate college while I'm sitting on a couch watching ESPN. I didn't even register yet. <laughs> so I'm sitting on the couch going, I hope to go to college. Let me call and see when they register me. Let me find out when I need to go. The second day I go, the third day I register, the fourth day I get books, the fifth day I'm in a classroom. Okay, I'm on my way. I have to lose hope, but what am I doing right now? Is the present moment in the way? We're sitting in the conference or we're sitting in an AA meeting and half of us are out the door. Right? Anyone goes to a ball game, what do you do? Especially from the Northeast where traffic is insane, right? Seventh inning, you leave during a seventh inning stretch. Because if you wait till the ninth inning, you don't get home for like hours because of traffic. And that sounds like planning, but here's what goes on. Around the fourth, you just pay $200 a seat. Around the fourth inning, you're going... Fourth inning, five, six, I'll be out of here at seven, right? And if the game's going along, damn it, the traffic's going to be bad. Hope this game would end fifth inning. And you're already playing, you missed the whole game. In the fourth inning, I'm worried about going home already. I got myself on traffic. She had better cook dinner. My kids are driving me crazy. I'm never going to do this again. I just went for like a whole lot of money. And why did I go to the game for? But that's how we operate in life. Make sense? Okay. So let's take a look at step 10. As I'm moving through amends and cleaning up the wreckage of my past, they talk about how the promises will be fulfilled and they'll always materialize if we worked for them. Step 10 suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. What we'll see throughout our book, especially in 10 and 11, are words like uh, um, continue, next, at once. All these action words... We don't hang around in here. We're chopping wood and carrying water. And they have this word called maintenance in step 10, which has gotten so watered down and misunderstood. And how my experience with this word maintenance in step 10 is about taking care of, not resting on my laurels. What has turned into in a lot of contemporary AA is you just stay there. Just stay in 10 and 11. God forbid you should move a little bit past that. Just stay there. Have you ever seen a lake that just sits? Or have you ever seen a river that's flowing? It's two different lives going on. So we nurture the spirit. We take care of it. We get our soul food. But I need to be growing in understanding and effectiveness. It says, <clears throat> we vigorously... Um, Continue to pay, take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. Step 10, we're going to look at four through nine every day. Right? Make amends if we have to. Do an inventory. Discuss it with someone. See what's blocking me from God, what's blocking me from you. And every day I'm looking at four through nine. Now, there's a school of thought, I'm not here to debate it, that you go through the steps one time and live in 10, 11, and 12 forever. And if that's floating your boat, I'm not here to change you. But if you're doing that and you have contempt pride investigation about those of us who continually rework the steps, then maybe you need to go through the steps again. And I say that because I was someone who sat in AA, busted my butt, went through the steps one time based on my first teacher, and live in 10, 11, and 12. And that sponsor said, these people who are going through the work over and over again, they don't know what they're talking about. And I flatlined in AA, and I prayed for a new teacher, and that's when Mark showed up. And he says, are you ready to have your life turned upside down? And I locked in and we went. My life was flipped around completely. 
and I saw the benefits in reworking the steps over and over and over and over again, once a year or twice a year, whatever the spirit moves you. I like the effect produced by booze. I love the effect produced by God, right? So sometimes I do it because I like the effect produced by God. It makes me a better agent for God. I want to know more. I want to experience more of my God so I can pass it on. So what I, when I got to the other side of the archway the second time through the work, I realized I was walking around with contempt pride and investigation, and I didn't even know it. Oh, you're one of those guys who go through the steps all the time. I was one of these guru guys. I hate these people. This is what I was thinking. Where does it say that in the big book? Yet you're happy and I'm miserable. And I flatlined in here. And when I got to the other side, I saw that. I totally saw that. So if your joy is happy and free and going through the steps one time, great. But if you have some dis-ease and discomfort and tossing and turning at night and all resentments that just trying to tuck away in the closet, why not go through the work again? Isn't it interesting when we're out there, more is the drink, give me more drink. I'm like a drunken pirate. Give me more. I'll take. I'll just take. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go through the village and rip off everything. Just give me more drink. I go down. I get up. Give me more. Sick on myself. I don't care. Just give me more. I vive me drink. And then we come into Alcoholics Anonymous and we say, here's God. And we say, too much. I'm driving tonight. <laughs> it was too much God. I had a little God. I feel good. But I don't need that much God. When I'm drinking and drugging, just give, give me kilos, give me gallons, just, just feed me. And I come and tell you, we've got a remedy, it's called God. I, uh, it's too much God. Since when is too much enough for us? And so we continue to rework the steps if you like the effect produced by God. And if you're sitting here this morning and you really don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. But take someone by the hand so you can know what I'm talking about experientially. Because we can, I've sponsored priests who knew scripture and had no relationship with God. We can be in AA for years and know this book and know our concepts and know our traditions and sponsor folks. And really, gun to head, I couldn't tell you what a God experience feels like. And that's why secretly I'm restless, ill, and discontented and driven by fear. And I have triggers and issues and anything will set me off. And I got this thing in me called a pain body, this unresolved peace that has never been fixed. And anything sets me off. And in a flesh, you don't even know who I am because I go from this to rage, this to depression, to isolation, acting out. Because I got the thing, that thing deep in here that's not fixed. My sponsor calls it, where does it hurt? First question he asked me, well, first my, my first assignment, he says, Peter, if you know, you know Mickey Howie. Peter, where does it hurt? I said, I don't know. What's wrong? There's not everything's good. Where does it hurt? And he had a way of asking a question that I swallowed hard, and I said, what's going on? We all got it. It needs to be fixed, because if it isn't, that'll wake up at the most inopportune time and take over me and you. How can I enter the world of the spirit when I get all this baggage, when I get all this baggage that I don't even want to look at? It's a very, very narrow opening, the world of the spirit. And money's not going to take me to the eye of a needle. Possessions is not going to get me to the eye of a needle. It ain't going to happen. I can't buy myself into that. I can't buy my way into that. It says we found much in heaven and been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence. That's right out of my big book. What is a fourth dimension of existence? Some of us around AA years and don't know what they're talking about. We read it, it means go right by it. Where I'm no longer dominated by three, obsessions, compulsions, and my emotions. I go past all of that. That's all coming from a thinking mind. The world of the spirit, I don't need to think. I'm present with God. I rely on that intuitiveness, that movement. I call it a rhythm that we get. Past emotions, obsessions, and compulsions. Most of us worship our emotions. If not in here, even civilians do it. We're worshiper of our emotions. I need to feel good. <laughs> I need to feel good. I need to feel good. Got to feel better. I feel good. I need to feel better. Got this much money. I feel good. I need more money. I really don't need more money, but I want more money because I like the effect produced by money or women or drink or dr whatever it is. And we're constantly searching. And here's what we're doing. Every alleyway I drive down and hoping to get something, I get it short-lived and it goes away. I need to search again. It's the pleasure-pain principle. 
What I'm really searching for is utopia. What I'm really searching for is nirvana. What I'm really searching for is God. And not that we're literally God-less, but the feeling is I'm God-less. So back to this hope. A hope to get spiritual. I hope to feel good. What am I doing now to achieve wherever I want to be? And at some point, here's a neat thing. At some point, oh, I'd like to go to college. I'd like to do this. I'd like to be spiritual. We're not, we realize we're not even in charge of that anymore. Not in charge of my life. I'm not in charge of anything. God gives me a test. I use proper use of the will. I throw everything I have at it. When I sponsor a guy, I give him <clears throat> everything I can for the half hour of the hour I'm with him. When I'm at work, I throw everything I have at work. When I'm cleaning my car, I throw everything I have at cleaning my car. When I'm cleaning my apartment, I throw everything I have at cleaning my apartment. But I'm not attached to the outcome. I'm not attached to what you think. I'm not attached to what people are going to say about it. I do it because that's the way I've been moved to do. Proper use of the will and managing my life. It's two different lives. One is God and one is me, my ego, my fears, my insecurities. One is I do what I can. I leave it up to God and rest easy on that. And if we don't become matter-of-fact or apathetic, we're just giving everything we can, knowing the Father's in charge of it all anyway. Huh? I do step 10, by the way, and some folks do, some folks don't. I've caught some heat over this, even from big bookers. Uh, I was brought up in AA, and all my sponsors, so you're going to need 10 steps. What I do with step 10 is I write. Inventory is a written list. So if I'm walking around doing a day, which is 10, what 10 is all about, I use words like turn, watch, aware, observe. Turn, watch, aware, observe. Turn in in order to go out. Turn in in order to go out. If I don't get it, go in, I will go without. Turn into my God, turn into my, whatever it is. <clears throat> Uncertainty, doubt, confusion, or just turning in. Watch, aware, and observe. Those words are interchangeable. How am I doing? Where are my feet? Where am I going? Am I listening? Am I speaking? Am I listening when I should be speaking? And vice versa, how am I doing? At the beginning, it sounds like I got to, we, we got to remember all this stuff. And after a while, it becomes part of our beingness. Turn, watch, wear, observe. What I do with step 10 also is if I have a resentment or fear, the first move is we turn all things into the Father or light presides over us all. Go to God. Okay, God, I'm resentful at Joe. Okay, God, I'm real fearful about this, 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 this person. Then we can discuss it with someone immediately and, what I, and make amends if we have to. If there's an amends, oh, we make that as well. But there's another piece to this that I was taught early on is if I'm... In, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and I'm resentful about something. Make prayer to God. Maybe need to speak to someone about it. But I still got residue of that resentment, and it's still ticking. I write four-column inventory. And if I don't have time at 9 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, first opportunity, I got a notepad and pen. I've written them on tissue paper. Just write it down. And somewhere between the third and fourth column, going, I can't believe I'm wasting time on this. But I needed to see that. So I was brought up in writing this stuff. And step 11, my nightly review is almost like a net of anything I missed. It keeps me current. How current are we right now? How current are we? What's my current relationship with God? Where am I currently with amends? Where am I currently with prayer and meditation? Where am I currently? Not last today, not six weeks ago, not five years ago. Today, what did I do this morning? About quarter to ten. How much time did I give to God so far? Quarter to ten. Right. Well, the kids are up early. Got to take them to school. Got to get ready. Okay, what time does that day start? Seven o'clock. What time do you get up? Seven o'clock with my kids. Huh. How about getting up 6.30? It's going to hurt like hell. Anyone's done this. The first, if you bump your time up a half hour, they like saving times. We're all screwed up, right? It's going to hurt like hell for a few weeks. You bump it up a half hour or an hour. You're going to be dragging. I'll tell you that up front. It hurts. But like anything else, you get used to it, and then your body just wakes up. Get up a half hour early when everyone's sleeping. Put on a little pot of coffee and go talk to God and give attention to this power who's going to grace you with another day. If you think the type of friend I can be to God or we can be to God, we're not friends. I want from you, I want from you, I want from feed me, clothe me, house me, uh, give me money, give me relationship, give me support, give me, give me, give me, and I never spend five minutes with you. When it's convenient, I'll see you. 
If we had friends like that, they wouldn't be friends. Or we'd confront them. Hey, I want to be your friend, man, but you're never around. But you keep asking me for money and food and shelter. And I'm giving you. I'm giving you the whole farm. But can you come by and say hello once in a while? We don't do that. But when it hits the fan, okay, God, I need you to bail me out again. God's pursuing me. Let me pursue God. Not hard to find. <clears throat> it says we vigorously commence this way of living as we clean up the past. A way of life. It's the life now. Right? We've entered a world of the spirit. Experientially, can I talk to you about what it's like living in a world of the spirit? Yes. Can we talk about what it's like living in the world of the spirit? experientially, well, here's some things that have happened to me. This is some of my experiences, what they're talking about here, entering that other dimension of existence where emotions, compulsions, and obsessions are no longer dominating me, <clears throat> not just a drink, but anything. And even when we fall asleep and go a little sideways, we miss the mark from time to time, and we forget God's in charge, and we put our hands on the steering wheel again, I get back up on the horse and keep riding and make amends and keep moving. Because I write out a 10-step and I discuss it with someone immediately. I'm always turning in in order to go out. Now, I didn't invent this stuff. I didn't come up with this on my own. This is what was taught to me by my elders. And I just happen to be broken enough to listen. It's a great thing being broken on our way in here. It's a great thing to be broken in AA where we feel like there's no hope anymore. Because we're going to lock into someone who says, I can help you. And we're not debating any lengths. We're not even debating about God. If we think about AA when it first started, <clears throat> they weren't so interested in how you were feeling today. <laughs> and they weren't politically correct like we're trying to get in AA today. I don't want to go on a tangent, but I sometimes got a question what World Service is doing. They want to have pamphlets for everybody. That sounds like a liberal, politically correct attempt at Alcoholics Anonymous, which is, shouldn't be politically correct, or liberal. It, it's a God thing. Leave it alone. We have the pamphlets for everybody. This way no one gets upset. It doesn't take much for a drunk to get upset about anything. <laughs> I mean, we're the type of people, I'll hit mega millions. They'll bring me a satchel of money filled with 50s, $5 million in 50s, and I'll say, you have no chain, nothing smaller? <clears throat> we're constantly miserable. So they want to have the, the, that, oh, forget us. <laughs> AA was about getting well, and they processed with a great sense of urgency. And it was considered somewhat of a religious movement. And they read out a scripture, and they talked openly about a particular God. And they did two-way prayer. And if you were from a different walk of life, there was no debating, well, what about me? Are you in or not? Because if you're not, you're going to drink and die. They were sympathetic, obviously, but they weren't about to reinvent the wheel because you had an issue with, with the wheel. It's just not how it worked. But everyone got well. They were desperate enough to say, okay, fine. Listen, if the only movement was around, AA wasn't existent, and the only movement in the planet that was getting drunks well, getting drunks recovered, and I had to flip and take on some other religious practices, I'm in. Privately, I could do what I want, but for the sake of this, and what do I got to lose? What do we got to lose? Based on what we're doing, how's that working for us? Not too good. Okay, so let me try what you're doing. Right? When we're hungry, when you're really hungry, you'll eat anything. You don't care who the cook is. When we were kids growing up and we didn't eat dinner, my father would say the kids in China are not eating, they would eat it. The kids in Biaf, you know, they would tell you these things growing up and, and just to make you eat your dinner. But really, if I, if I was like that, if I was starving to death, I'd eat anything. If I'm dying... I'll take on anything that's going to help me, right? So I don't know what they're doing up there in New York with uh, some of the things they're putting out there. Right? Some of you got younger guys know, you know the fourth edition of the big book um, compared to the third edition. It said, but the basic text pages 1 to 164 have remained unchanged. This is the A message. It didn't appear in the early printings of the fourth edition. How's that happen? How's that happen? 
That just dismantled everything. So it's up for us. I, my young friend here who's 20 years old, you're our future. <clears throat> yeah. People coming in behind you, you're going to be the face of AA in 10 years or 20 years. And when some of us are older guys are gone, I mean, you're going to be AA. And when I'm, if I lift to 70 or 80 and I'm kind of rolling in here, the complexion of AA is going to have a large, uh, uh, you're going to have a large impact on it. Right? That's why we need to talk about these things. <clears throat> Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. <clears throat> it should continue for a lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God to remove them at once. I work with someone. I have a sponsor and two other guys. I work with this word immediately. If something going on, I call my sponsor. If I can't get him, I have two guys that I call. Hey, we give each other spiritual consent. Hey, Tom, I got it immediately. You got some time? Yeah, go. Here's my inventory. Here's what's going on. I haven't even wrote any inventory yet because I'm a wreck. What do I do about this? He pulls back the lay and say, this is the way I see it. Let's write about this. Call him back an hour later, later that night. Okay, here's how I'm doing. Just the other day, I had something go on. I haven't had one of these in a while. I had it immediately. Something happened, and I said, what? And I was a little twisted. I was a little annoyed. I said, okay, God, just what do I do? And the first thing I did was call my sponsors. Here's what's going on. And I noticed pride, ego, and a lot of other things, but nonetheless, this is where I'm at right now. And we talked about it. And he really gave me some simple insight. Some of it I knew what the answer was, but I just needed to roll it by somebody, my sponsor who knows how I tick and is knows AA and knows people and personalities. And he says, why don't you write the inventory on this? And I did, and I went back into my office. I closed the door. I made some prayer, wrote some inventory. When I called him up, because I called my sponsor on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock, uh, how are you doing? Did you write that inventory? He was holding me accountable. And I could have said, well, I got busy. Then why am I wasting his time for I see I got it in front of me, and here's my big book, and off we went. And by the time the 8 o'clock call came around, I, I knew it needed to be done. But we still kicked it around. See if there's any residue. That's how we operate. And I'm free. And a lot of the stuff, a little opening, a little porthole for my mind to flood the gates now. Because my mind was taking me in a place of doom and gloom. And as always, it never turns out like that. It always does. The stuff we feel we're up against right now, sit tight, go to God. Two days, three days, a week, an hour from now, you say, that's what I was worried about. It's gone. I've been in places where I've had no money, literally zero money, insufficient funds on the ATM machine, no job, nothing in my pocket. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through the day? I got through the day, got through the week, got through the month, got through the year, fine. And I look back on it and see, I got through that. So when the next thunderbolt hits, let me remember that right? all the time. <clears throat> we discuss the stuff with someone immediately, make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. Then we turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. And here's where the room splits. Not this room, but most rooms. Ten-step promises, which many folks don't even know they exist. In step two, we said, came to believe that the power of greater ourselves can restore us to sanity. This goal, this place we're going to get to, if I chop wood and carry water, that God's going to restore me to wholeness of mind and truth. In step ten, the contract's been delivered. Sanity has returned. Watch what they talk about. It contradicts what you'll hear. It's normal to think about a drink because you're an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. I'm always thinking about drinking. That's just the way it is. No, it is not. It says, we cease fighting anything or anyone, dash, even alcohol, almost as an afterthought. So even the wrestling we have going on in the head, when I get them, when I do this, when I get there, all that stuff when you're sitting on a couch, you got a four-car traffic jam in your head and no one's around and you're, you're gripped with fear or you're vengeful and you're angry and no one's around. I'm fighting with things. I'm fighting with people. I am not free. I am not joyous, happy, and free. My book just says we cease fighting anything or anyone. Oh, by the way, even alcohol. 
What? The spiritual life makes no sense to this mind. This is where the mind gets frustrated. This is where the ego starts scratching and crawling because it needs to rebuild itself because it's out of work right now. I've ceased fighting anything or anyone. In order to fight, I need to think. Anger needs to think. Love does not need to think. Resentment, I'm thinking, replaying, thinking, replaying, fear. Oh my God, doom and gloom. Oh my God, I'm thinking. Mind and ego loves it. It's a steak dinner for it. Let's roll. We can take a couple of days of this. Cease finding anything, anyone. Mind's out of work. Ego just got shut down, even temporarily. There's an opening here. For by this time, sanity will have returned. For by this time, in other words, by now, you got it. You've had the spiritual transformation of the enter the world of the spirit. If we look back on it, we probably haven't been obsessing nor thinking even about using anymore or a lot of the other things that got us into trouble. The contracts delivered. God promised and delivered. For by this time, meaning like if you didn't get it by now, you missed something. You didn't do the work. It's a huge promise. Which contradicts a lot of our contemporary AA who doesn't tell you this. Hang in there, kid. This is as good as it gets. What? It's not good now. Or, you know, the guy, I'm sober 40 years, God damn it, and I love it, you know. <laughs> you know the guys, sit down, have some coffee, and stay, damn it. You know, they think by hollering at a new guy, that's going to get them to stay. If you're me, I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm grateful. You know, you, you know. And, and bless their hearts. We, you walk in with a big book. And they're ready to, you know, assassinate you for walking with a big book. Talk about the big book. They roll their eyes. They get disgusted. They start mumbling to their, their, to their friends about it. You know, their comments, they're, they're locking and loaded on their comments. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Because we've all had contempt right investigation. But it's discouraging to see nonetheless It'd be like me, a Catholic, walking into my parish with the Bible and the priest say, what are you doing with that thing? Why are you bringing that in here for? <laughs> and we do it with each other. The big bookers against the non-big bookers. The big bookers against the big bookers. Oh, boy. <laughs> Pecking order. I've seen groups be jealous, big book groups be jealous of other big book groups because some honchos go into that group and they got him or her there. It's bizarro land. <clears throat> that's, that's not living in the world of the spirit. Challenge, go challenge, go challenge, go challenge. We should hold each other accountable. The frustrating thing is when you see some folks who claim to be upstanding members of this fellowship for a hundred years and knock down the big book because are they when they're knocking down what our founding members put together for us? What does that say about your membership to Alcoholics Anonymous? Huh? When I'm shooting down Bill and Bob in the first 40 or so put this book together, when I'm shooting down the book, that's what I'm doing. So it's up to you in 20 or 30 years from now. How's this going to look? It says, I'll be seldom interested in liquor. If tempted, I recoil from it as from a hot flame. I react sanely and normally. Watch this. It says, and we find that this has happened automatically. I don't have to think the drink through, play the tape to the end, remember where I come from, keep it green. I don't need to take a detox commitment for selfish reasons like to remember where I come from. Take a detox commitment. It'll keep you green. Narrow and selfish. And that's narrow-minded and selfish. I should be going there to bring hope. <clears throat> going there to carry a message, not to keep it green. I don't need that to keep it green. God's removed the problem. I need to keep it green. I'm in the solution. No more problem. <clears throat> we find that this has happened automatically. We will see that a new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on my part. No thinking involved. 
It just comes. This is the miracle of it. I'm not fighting it, neither am I avoiding temptation. I feel as though I've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We haven't even sworn the stuff off, it's telling me. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. I'm recovered. I'm in the world of the spirit. It's easy to let up on a spiritual program of action and rest on my accomplishments of yesterday. I'm headed for trouble if we do, because alcohol is a subtle foe. Sly, clever, devious, difficult to detect, and patient. My personal enemy, subtle foe. We're not cured of alcohols. What I have is a daily reprieve contingent on how well I'm doing spiritually, how, how well I'm taking care of the spirit. Am I getting my soul food today? Mark would call me up and he asked me a question one time. Did you eat today? He says, yeah. He says, why? You ate yesterday. Because if I don't eat today, I'll get hungry. And if I don't eat tomorrow, I'll start to get sick and I'll start to dwindle away and die. What about soul food? I went through the work a year ago. Okay, it's a year removed. How am I doing? What am I doing to nurture the spirit? Get my soul food every day. Got to get the soul food. And at the beginning, it feels like, well, I got to do this. I have to do this. They told me to do this. After all, we get to do. We get to. I get to pray. get to meditate. I get to seek God. I get to work with others. I get to. I'm above ground, sucking air and sober. It's a get to. Right? And I get to return back to the sacred place of stillness with some simple spiritual tools. That's strict. The road is narrow right here. The road is narrow. And the narrowing of the road, it seems like it opens up. There's a feeling of abundance in the narrowing of a road. And in the discipline of this work, there's a tremendous amount of freedom. We think by just laying around, it's free. No, we're in bondage. Did you ever say, I got to get on a diet, got to get on a diet, got to get on a diet, and weeks go by, and you got this thing, got to go on a diet, got to go on a diet, and you're really not free until you start to diet. Now I'm doing something. I am on a diet. I'm taking action. I'm okay. A little bit better, not great than I was yesterday, and a month from now, it's a lot better than it was a month ago. I'm doing. I'm in. I'm in it. Indisciplined as freedom. And the spiritual life is a very disciplined one. You go to a home group, 100 people, maybe 10 are really mad dogs with the book. The other 90 are kind of in it, not in it, or don't want to hear about it. The road has narrowed. But it's not for me who claim to be in the book to judge my brother or sister because then I need to have a new experience, huh? Because could you imagine if others judged me when I came in here? What if my God judged me on being the wrong ethnic background, the wrong color, not enough money, not, not tall enough, whatever, before I got in here? It's open, it says, we believe to all men. We don't check at the door what color, wrong color, can't come in, wrong part of the country, wrong financial bracket. That's what golf clubs do. We don't do that here. Or these other private clubs. Believe it or not, they still exist. But that's a personal affair, what you belong to. In here, it's wide open because God created it. Since when have we put doors on who can do what? It's not my, my job to judge. Before I take the speck out of your eye, let me take the plank from mine. Huh? <clears throat> I'm not cured of alcoholism. I have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Every day, there's a command. Every day is a day I must carry the vision of God's will into all my activities. And my prayer is, Father, thank you for the power to carry out the vision of your will in all my activities. Let your will not bind me done. And I, and I always ask God to show me what relationships to have and how to have them, because he's in charge of this. Because you know what happens when we pick people, right? Get a divorce lawyer, because it's part of the whole package, you know. Right? I don't know who I'm supposed to have relationships with, male and female. Let God decide that. And it, moves, it had moved me years ago into something I work with, a life of invitation. I don't solicit to come to do one of these things. I know folks who do, shame on them. But it's an invitation. I get a call or an email, can you do this? We invite you to come here. And if, if God says the calendar's free, I go. I get invited into people's lives for sponsorship. They ask me to sponsor them. I get their spiritual consent, you know. And if I want to go see my dad, I don't say, I'm coming over. I say, can I come over? And he'll say, yes, invitation. 
I get invited to people's lives. They'll come up to me after a meeting or whenever and say, would you like to come to lunch with us? And not because I have to sit back and wait for you to invite me. It's, it's the way I live, a life of invitation. Because the byproduct of that is I don't walk around with fear of trying to fit into your clique, fit into your little group there. If you don't invite me in, I'm not supposed to be there. But when you do invite me in, you invite me in because you want something from me. You want friendship. You want me to be a part of your life. That's an honor, and I gladly go. The big difference in the rhythm, in the two rhythms here with life. One is free and easy, and really we're in the world like a loose garment. And the other one is we're up against it. How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. These are thoughts which must go with me constantly. It's a rhythm. It's how we operate, a manner of living which we operate by, living along the lines of God consciousness, no longer living along the lines of human consciousness or, or man-dominated life. And when we get here, my experience has been this. Sometimes it'll happen. You fall asleep and you go sideways even for a moment. But overall, we're not experiencing duality in life anymore. I'm not experiencing two-ness. I'm experiencing oneness and, 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 and togetherness with this power called God. Back in step five, it says we walk in hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. There's no break. If I hold your hand, we're together. If I'm not, we're separate now with this power called God. We can never be separate from that power which we already are. But we come to the realization that we're no longer separate. For years, it felt like we were separate. God was there and I'm here. And I don't know if there's a heaven, there probably is. There's, there's something, I'm sure, out there somewhere, somehow, of paradise. But right now, it's right down in here. Our book tells us that. And when we study certain books, the kingdom of heaven is within. And we're always searching. It's the kingdom of heaven is in that new Cadillac. Right? <laughs> but we live in a world of impermanence. And we put our entire self-worth, my entire life, in a car, in a relationship. And I'm not saying we don't take care of a relationship, we don't honor a relationship, we don't love a relationship, especially if you meet that someone. Cherish them, because life goes by in a flash. But if I put every fiber of my being into a thing or a person, they now don't even want it, but I've given them the power to own me. Then you can't have a healthy relationship. Now that car that I wanted becomes thing of fear. I'm always watching for it. I can't just park and leave. I'm obsessed on a car. I'm obsessed on something I've got, a piece of property. That's bondage. Rather than taking care of it and nurturing it and appreciating it and loving it. And let it be. And let God do what God's got to do. It's all about removal. The process of recovery is always about removal, subtraction, never addition. I read somewhere, I don't know where I read it, um, uh, probably on a plane, uh, sculpture. I always thought they just keep, you know, they get a clay and they mold. What they do is remove. They remove. A lump of clay, they remove. And as they're removing, you see the finished product. God doesn't need to throw more clay. God just got to remove what we created, a mess. We came here pristine. Spirit was perfect, and we just threw stuff. I threw stuff on that I thought I needed, that I was told I needed, by loving people and dishonest people. But I bought it, and I landed in AA. What a mess. I got a garbage dump full of stuff. Underneath that garbage dump somewhere is a beautiful diamond in the rough. It's, I got to find it. And I go in, and I clean it out, and I, there it is. It's a little scratched, needs a little cleaning. It's old, but it's a diamond nonetheless, which is exactly what we do here. We need to go in in order to go out. And, and the question to take a look at is... My, my insides matching my outsides. Do my outsides look like what I'm thinking? How am I doing? I'm thinking God. I'm talking about God. But if you see me in action, there's no God. Or I'm, it looks like I'm doing good deeds. I'm giving to charities. I'm sitting with people and taking them to the work. And I'm making coffee and I'm going to Mass on Sunday. But when I get home, my head is so twisted up and I hate everything I'm doing. Why? 
We don't need to live like that. And when we come back, I'll talk about some of the things I, I get to do with, with, with step 11. But by the time we get into step 10, guys, and we're talking about entering the world of the spirit, there's no reason why we should be sitting with thinking or, other, uh, or drugging thoughts at this point. We've been free to that. And a lot of the behavior that, that gripped us really should be going by the wayside. And we're getting freer. Some of us might backslide and find ourselves in the middle of something that we didn't plan. Like, uh-oh, how did this happen? Whether it be behavior or thinking, okay, we can change it. We can shift. The cock can change because we work with God. I want to do surrender again. Father, I fell asleep. I went sideways here. Oh, I got this secret going on. I need to fix this. It'll get fixed. It's, but, but it'll grow in the dark if we don't talk about it, if we don't tell someone. We don't come clean with the sponsor. We're, you know, we're broken. We make mistakes. Let's put erases on pencils. That's why we have step 10. That's why I have step 11. Surrender, discuss, what do I do? How do I steer the car in the right direction? Because I'm going sideways again. I didn't even see it. Of course not. I'm chop wood, carry water, get back on a horse, keep riding. And that's the progress. Right. 25 years almost, I'm sober, thank the good Lord. And there's been times where I've gone, I fell asleep. There's been times where I've gripped with fear. There's times where I want to put my hands around someone's neck. There's been times when I've wept uncontrollably. I got, uh, when I went through a divorce, it was about a year after my divorce. I'll never forget this. It was a Saturday, and it all, the, 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 the whole thing came back. And I wept and wept and wept. I had wept a few times during the, during the breakup. That's expected. I was crushed. But about a year later, on a Saturday afternoon, I wept uncontrollably because I was mourning the loss. Okay, so I wept. And I've been euphoric and happy. I've been broken. I've had money. But I chop wood and carry water, and I get on the horse and keep riding because we go with God, huh? Some of the things, the paths we go down to, it may not feel really good, but there's a lesson to be learned in that to be of maximum service to others. Right? Spiritual progress. Chop wood, carry water. We do, the, we do the plowing, God does the growing. A gentleman I heard say this. We do the plowing, God does the growing. Doctor does the surgery, God does the healing. I hit the altar, God does the healing. So we chop wood and carry water. Let's take a break.